Hello and welcome to The Double Double. My name is David Dixon and same thing like last time for our listeners, but for those who don't know, co-host Kelly, super busy at work. I'm attacking the beginning of this podcast solo and then we're going to be joined for a long, really good discussion uh, all about college football, what we're both seeing so far. What we're hoping to see going forward and what we're expecting to see. So that's a really good chunk. Want to really thank Coach Sass for taking the time out of his super busy schedule for coming on and, and doing that with me. He's getting ready for his season. First practice for his Pratt Cannoneers is October 15th, right around the corner. And they got a lot of talent, really good looking group that is way different than what he inherited just a few short seasons ago. He's really turning around the program, and we're just really happy that he's able to join us and talk college football. But there was also a big NFL game on last night that I kind of previewed earlier in the week, and I just want to talk a little bit about it. Eagles at Packers. The Eagles were victorious 34-27. But the biggest takeaways that I had from this game, and I know a lot of people will want to talk about the player safety stuff, about having two separate players, one on the Packers, one on the Eagles, uh, being taken off the field on stretchers. You could talk all, all you want about what the NFL needs to do to, to be safer. The second one, I don't really know how you eliminate that hit. It was what I saw on Twitter friendly fire it was a guy on the eagles was going in to make a tackle ends up colliding into his own player which is a really unfortunate situation both teams have announced that the guys are are doing well that they are they have all feeling in their extremities which is kind of crazy when, when when you think about that we think that there's a, a you know the, the system of someone going off a stretcher is they're going to raise a thumb like a thumbs up as a they're okay and then when the player on the Eagles didn't do that, it was it was it was scary to watch. And you know, we're we're thinking for we're giving all their best all of our best thoughts to them as as they recover and for, and for their teammates because you know the guy gets stretchered off and once he's off the field, the rest put the ball down. It's like all right, the next play and and, and as a teammate, you're like that's my teammate. He's going to the hospital. He's not moving. They just put him on a stretcher doing the thing that I'm about to just do again, you know? So when people want to talk about football players, physical and mental toughness, I, I don't think they talk about the, the mental toughness of enough of being able to watch one of their teammates get hurt and go right back out there and just do the same thing and do the same t- at the same speed that got their teammate really badly hurt. But about the game itself, it was a really good game. It was a really good football game. We're not used to seeing good football on Thursday nights. And this was a really, really good football game. The Eagles won. This is a really, really big win for them because now they're 2-2. Two and two. The Packers are really good. So this is a really big win for them and their confidence. Wentz looked really good. He had three touchdowns. Didn't throw a lot. Uh, only 160 yards. But... They were able to run the ball really well. Jordan Howard 
Miles Sanders, that, that, that duo played really well, 87 and 70 yards apiece. Howard had added two more touchdowns. Partially, they weren't able to throw the ball as well because the Packers' defense is really good. And, and on the Packers' side, it proved that, hey, we just got to work a little bit on the running game, stopping, stopping the run. Our pass defense looked really good. It really took away Alshon Jeffrey, uh, took away some, some other threats that to, to, to make Wentz only have 16 completions, 16 for 27, 160 yards. But if I'm, but if, but if I'm the Packers, even though I lost this game, Aaron Rodgers is back. He looked like the Aaron Rodgers from three years ago where he looked like the best quarterback and maybe most talented quarterback to, every, to ever play the, play the position. And just what he is able to do when he gets out of the pocket and throws on the run and he can run a little bit and he had five carries for 46 yards. Like He just knows how to get out and open get where he needs to go, keep the ball moving down the field, and doesn't take negative plays. He only got sacked once. And when and when you're watching it, you go, oh, my God, it, it feels so great. It's like we turned back the clock and we saw this old Aaron Rodgers that we all loved and were terrified of as fans of opposing teams. And you didn't really see that the last couple of years under Mike McCarthy, whether it was due to injuries or personality clashes or something to, about their offensive system. But now with Matt LaFleur, they're, they're back. And, and it is just awesome to see. I'm really happy to, to have this type of Aaron Rodgers back in the NFL because it makes it so much more exciting, so much more fun to watch. And I think the Packers, in if they make it to the playoffs, could be really dangerous because if this is the type of Aaron Rodgers we're going to have, he is absolutely terrifying. I used to describe it as when people would ask who was better, Tom Brady or or Aaron Rodgers, because Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. But I always thought, especially the last kind of five or six years, Rodgers was probably better than Brady just in terms of the throws he could make, throwing the ball more down down the field, to be able to scramble and throw on the run. Brady was still probably the greatest, and just in one game, I'd, I'd probably choose Brady to win. But Rodgers probably the best. And when and I, and I would describe it as that when when you're playing against Tom Brady, you know you're going to lose going into it. So the way he beats you isn't that upsetting because it's just hey, we're playing the pass, we're playing to Brady. Like, we know how he's going to beat us. It's going to be boom, 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 quick passes. We're never going to really have a chance. But when you play against Rodgers, Rodgers beats you in just demoralizing fashion because he gives you hope. Like, he'll throw an early pick. The Packers are never really that good. You go, oh, well, their defense isn't that good, so maybe we can score on them. And then Rodgers just makes these absolutely insane throws where you're just like, no one else can make that. It's not the system of the Patriots. It's literally just Rodgers rolling out and throwing a pass that one inch to the left is intercepted, one inch to the right is out of bounds, and it's just perfectly caught. And he would demoralize you when when he beats you. And Brady, you were already defeated. You know, like like Brady never gave you hope. Rodgers can give the opposing team hope and then just takes it away. And so I'm just really happy to have that Aaron Rodgers back. Uh and I'm looking forward to seeing how how it looks going forward for for both teams because the Packers, if Rodgers is really back, and 
they have a chance to make the playoffs with their schedule coming up. They they have the Cowboys next week. That's going to be a big, big game for them. But then it kind of lightens up. They go Lions, Raiders. So that could be two more wins. Like if, if they're five and two, six and one, that would be incredible because then when they play at the Chiefs on what looks like, I'm pretty sure that this would be a Sunday night game, Packers at Chiefs, Rodgers, Mahomes. That may be the highest rated football game of the of the season. And of the obviously of the of the regular season. And until maybe the pass play at the Chiefs, but Packers Chiefs is going to be insane. And and I'm looking forward to seeing this with Rodgers on the floor growing in this offense and getting even more dangerous. Because it's only week four for them. And they're still working out some of the kinks. They're still getting more comfortable. In week eleven, I want to see how how this is looking. Because I think it'd be really dangerous. And then and then for the Eagles, huge, huge win because the Giants have life now. Not saying that they're very good, because they're not, but they have life. They're they're one and two. If if the Giants after this week were two and two and they beat Washington and they were ahead of the Eagles in the standings at one and three, that would have been really bad. That would have set off a lot of panic. And so it was a huge win for the Eagles to be two and two. They got the Jets next week. Jets, Stan Donald still out with Mono, should easily beat them. Vikings are meh, up and down. You never really know what you're gonna get out of Kirk Cousins. And then then they get the Cowboys too. And you know, it's that's gonna be another really big game. And the the Eagles are looking better, their defense is good, and they're they just gotta get back to playing the football they were playing in 2017. I know that the, the roster is different, but they still have Wentz. They still have an MVP caliber quarterback. And I'm just looking forward to seeing how it goes. And they've lost a couple close games to Atlanta and, and Detroit. Now they've won a couple close games. I want to see them just beat someone up by a lot. And I think that could be the Jets next week. So that's kind of my my takeaways from, from last night's Thursday night football game. And now we're going to take a quick break now. And when we come back, I'll be talking to, to Coach Max Sass, all things college football. And joining us now is, this is your third or fourth time on head men's basketball coach from Pratt in Brooklyn, Coach Max Sass. Coach, how's it going? It's going great, man. It's going great. I uh, love being on here. Uh, love talking to you. Love talking to Kelly. I know he's he's uh, a little busy today, but uh love being part of the double-double. Yeah, for sure. And we're we're looking forward to talking again. We've we've hit on a lot of college football, college basketball in the past, and as I previewed earlier this week, this will be a we're gonna talk all college football. So first and foremost, we are entering week five now of the college football season. Really week six, if you include week zero. Uh and it seems like we're gonna get Clemson, Alabama part five. Do you think it is as inevitable as it kind of looks right now? So that's a really good question, and I did actually feel that way for a long time. But I actually, my hot take is that I actually think uh, they will, we will have a new champion this year that we have not seen in the past few years. 
if you told me that I could either bet on Alabama Clemson winning or someone from the group of Georgia, LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma, or Wisconsin winning, I would take the latter group. Interesting. Because that's one of the things that, that I've noticed, too, is that Alabama's been awesome, Clemson's been awesome, but also it seems like in, in I guess, this year, better in years past, that second grouping of the elite teams is really good this year because LSU looks awesome. They went and beat Texas on the road. Georgia just beat Notre Dame. Wisconsin just destroyed Michigan. There's there's a lot of good teams, and I really wonder who's going to make the playoff because Alabama and Clemson right now are locks, but the SEC is so loaded that a lot of stuff can happen. Yeah, it really can. And, and it, you know, it's funny in the sense that I think Alabama and Clemson are not going to win the title for actually kind of completely opposite reasons. Um, and, and I'm curious as to your thoughts on this as a college athlete, but Clemson, I, I think the thing that's going to hold the mech is they don't play anybody. You know, to I know they play Texas A&M, but Texas A&M may not even end up a ranked team. They're going to play who's going to win the ACC Coastal, maybe Virginia in the ACC championship game, that might be the only ranked team on their schedule at the end of the year entering the playoffs. And that worries me. That really, really worries me um, about the ability to just crank it up. And Alabama, on the other hand, you know, they have two big games in terms of LSU and then Georgia likely winning the SEC East and playing in the conference finals, conference championship game, excuse me. And, I know what we said last year. I know LSU's got to go to Alabama. This LSU team is different than the LSU teams from the past couple years. And this Georgia team is different and better than the Georgia team from the past couple years. And I I think Clemson will make the playoffs. I think Clemson is going to go undefeated 12-0 going into the playoffs. But I think it's going to hurt them. Whereas Alabama, I actually think they're going to drop one of those two games either the LSU or or maybe even more likely the Georgia game in the SEC championship and I think that could keep them out of the playoffs especially if you know uh, an Ohio State or an Oklahoma or Wisconsin or even a Penn State goes undefeated in conference yeah for sure and and to go to your Clemson point first because I think that's a really interesting point about kind of just by being in the ACC, they seemingly don't play anyone. And part of that is because, and we'll t- touch on this in a little bit, but Florida State is so bad. Uh, Carolina's a little bit better, and, and they have them this weekend, but they're just so much better than the rest of the ACC. You do have to wonder, and I think you're right, that can they raise the game again like they did last year in the playoff and really just take it to Notre Dame and then destroy Alabama. I think that as the type of college athletics I play is just so much different than what they're doing. Like I think that they're closer to professionals and that they can turn it on and off more. Not that they're turning it off, but they, but that they understand that they can raise it to another level. And the, you know, the, the quote that, our, my college coach uses and your former boss is that it's competition breeds a, a better product. And 
when they're playing against the best teams, they do raise their game. They even though Texas A&M may not end up ranked, they still went and beat them. You know, and they did the same yes. thing, and and they did the same thing last year. And they're just so deep and so talented that. I think that their domination in the ACC proves that they're just waiting to be challenged and that they, they can rise to the challenge. That's true. I, I think that the thing that makes me nervous and maybe it should make me confident is that the offense hasn't played particularly well for Clemson. And, you know, this is Trevor Lawrence who in two years will almost inevitably be the number one pick in the NFL draft. Uh, Travis Etienne, who, you know, might very well be, in my opinion, the second best running back in the country behind Jonathan Taylor, who I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, you know, the wide receivers, Justin Ross and T. Higgins, they are so incredibly talented. But if their defense wasn't a top five defense in the country, which it is right now, I, I, you know, I'm not sure they people are talking about them at this level. They're, they're, the defense is what's keeping them in games, and I'm nervous that the offense is not dominating in in ways that they should. I mean, that's for sure. Brent Venables has done an incredible job with that defense, and they're Ridiculous. just so so deep and, and so talented. But when, when I kind of look at it, for all those names you mentioned, except for ETN, all those guys are true sophomores. Lawrence is a true sophomore. Ross, T. Higgins, those guys are all sophomores, I'm pretty sure. And it's it's easy to to listen to all the praise and the hype that they got over the summer. And, and and when I watch Lawrence, he makes some throws that are just absolutely incredible throws that a 19-year-old makes. And it's my, my read of it is that the reason why they haven't dominated is because they're trying to be too cute and too pretty and too, like, making all, like, tr- trying to always make the outstanding crazy play that to show off how, how good they are. Instead of just the easy plays that Alabama makes where they just run slants with Jerry Judy and Tua hits them and it's like, all right, well, that's 38 yards. Instead, right. in, instead Lawrence is always going for the outstanding play. And that's kind of why he's thrown so many interceptions is because I'm sure he's like, well, I can make this easier throw, but I'm so good I can make this throw and throw it into a tighter window. I think that's a good point, and I think that's part of the maturation process, though. In a certain sense, you'd say this kid won the national title as a true freshman. Isn't the maturation process over? But what do they say? Staying on top is harder than getting on top. For sure. You know, when you're talking about ascending the mountains. So I think that's part of it, too. And so, and then, and then on the Alabama side is that Alabama's schedule is ridiculous because it is the SEC. But I think that they have – I think that their game against Auburn is the one team you didn't mention that I think has a real chance at beating them because that's at Auburn. And I think that they'll beat LSU because as much as I love Joe Burrow this year, and you're right, LSU is completely different. I think Auburn is really good. And as and as we've seen before, that Alabama at Auburn game, whether it was with Cam Newton or obviously the big kick six game, crazy stuff happens in <laughs> – in the Iron Bowl. That's absolutely true. And you can't rule anything out on a rivalry game. But for me, I'm not sure Auburn passes the eye test. I get it. It was week one. But that was a game Oregon all but should have won, if not for some coaching mismanagement with the clock and timeouts. 
Um, I think Knicks is really, really good, but the caveat is really, really good for a true freshman. Yeah. And it's a great story. You see the picture of him in the stands as a 12-year-old and what his dad did at Auburn, but he is a true freshman, and he's not Trevor Lawrence. Let's not forget that. I know everyone... I don't want to say everyone, but I know a lot of people are going, well, a true freshman won the national title last year. That's different. True, Trevor Lawrence is different. Trevor Lawrence could have left uh, Clemson last year, been the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Yeah. Bo Nix is not that freshman. That's, that's definitely true. And I think Nix will get better as the season goes, goes on, but more so just of the, the surrounding factors of playing at Auburn that I think adds to kind of like the the aura of that Alabama's not invincible and that Auburn has beaten great Alabama teams before at their place. And I think that they understand how to beat Nick Saban. They've done it before. They know how to do it at home. And it's just we, we, we know that crazy things always happen in college football and crazy things will happen this year. That's the game in my mind that I'm circling more so than, than LSU in terms of upset potential. I probably have Auburn at Auburn one versus home against LSU because Nick Saban has played, has dominated L- LSU for most of his career. I think that's a really good point. Um, and, and when we talk about Ohio State, I'm going to make the argument again that no matter how bad Jim Harbaugh's squad has looked up in Michigan, it's a rivalry game and, and, you know, you certainly can't take that as a, as a win for granted right now. But what Joe Burrow is doing at LSU is different from what any quarterback they've had in the past. And that's my argument. Here he yeah. is 17 passing touchdowns, David, and over 1,500 yards. That's more passing touchdowns than he had all year last year. He's His adjusted completion percentage according to pro football focus is 86.2%, which is the best among any quarterback in the country. He is not the sexy pick, but right now you could make an argument that he's your Heisman trophy winner. If the season ends today, 100, 100%, 100%. He, he, he's been outstanding. And, and I think back to he's, he's in Austin at Texas and it was and, and he played so well in that game and kind of proved and said, All right, I've arrived, like like Joe Burrow oh, absolutely. is here. And, you know, it's funny because not to cut you off, but I think he actually had that moment in the bowl game last year. Do you remember against UCF when he threw the pick and got blindsided on the interception return? And then he came back and threw like four or five touchdowns, whatever yeah. it was. Mm-hmm. To me, that was kind of his like oh boy turning point moment. And he parlayed that into the Texas game. So, so I do agree with you in a sense, but let me just go back to Alabama and I'll tell you why LSU Alabama is also very intriguing to me. Alabama is not your Alabama teams of old that are running the ball down your throat. This is a team that's surviving on the pass. If you look at um, what they're doing with Tua, his recruiting, his, excuse me, receiving group of Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddle, Smith, those guys are unbelievable, but the freshman Stingley Jr. for LSU has been unbelievable in the defensive backfield. Grant Delpit might be the best defensive player in the country, and he's the safety for LSU. 
So it's strength against strength there. And I think if Alabama can't figure out how to run the ball down LSU's throat, LSU has a chance to neutralize that passing game and keep this a low-scoring game. And I think there's a chance that Burrow could have the better game that day. Maybe I'm biased because he's a kid who came to Ohio State and barely lost the quarterback battle to Dwayne Haskins. And everything I've heard about him is that he's a special kid. There's a chance he could in that game outduel Tua. For sure. And Tua's really only been outdueled once in his career, and that was against Lawrence and Clemson. And Clemson, when when you think about it, that, that Clemson team had so many NFL players on on the defense. And Grant Delpit is a top five pick this year. Yeah. He's he's outstanding. So and then and then and also Georgia, just let's Georgia, the, the SEC championship game last year, he did not play well. Jalen Hurts needed to come save them. That that is very true. I, I, I'm thinking more that that was probably due to his injury, partially. But Absolutely. but Absolutely. but but just sticking with this LSU Georgia because when I see LSU, what I see as the big difference is with Coach O. He is a he is a fantastic fantastic recruiter and really transformed that program in his image. But what he's figured out is that he's probably not a great offensive play caller. And really, like, X's and O's wise, like, as good as some guys he could hire. So I give him a lot of credit. This is a 40-something, 50-year-old guy. Basically said, you know what? I'm just going to focus on recruiting and motivating my guys, which is the best thing that that he is. Like, you watch him in a press conference. Like, you're kind of getting... He's unbelievable. <laughs> and so he's letting their offensive coordinator call the plays. And that's really has what allowed Joe Burrow to really flourish this year and become more modern. Because they are a very modern offense. And I'm I'm just been more impressed that that Coach O has has given up trying to do everything and just said, you know what, I'm great at motivating, I'm great at recruiting. I'm going to get the praise I deserve if we win, and this is the best way for LSU football to win. Yeah, I, I love that. I think really great coaches make that adjustment and and know their strengths and weaknesses and. They brought in, if I'm not mistaken, Joe Brady to be the offensive coordinator. He was with the New Orleans Saints last year, and mm-hmm. he right now is looking like the top assistant in college football. For sure. And then, and then speaking about Georgia, I really like this this Georgia team. I'm a little biased. Their starting right tackle went to Poly Prep, the same high school <laughs> I I went to, but he's gotten so much better. Isaiah Wilson, he's gotten so much better than from when he was at Poly, which makes sense. SEC, football, coaching staff, weight room, all that. But Jake Fromm, we don't talk about him enough as he's just so steady, so good, so reliable. Yes, he doesn't wow you the way that Joe Burrow or some of the other quarterbacks we've we've mentioned. But there is something about him that he beat out Jacob Eason, who's now at Washington. He's beat out Justin Fields, who's now at your Ohio State he has an it factor that that you just are drawn to him, you know? I agree with that, and I'm going to try to find the numbers to prove it, but watching Jake Fromm this year, it just feels like he's a little bit more on the mark than he's ever been. And actually, I feel good about saying that because now that I found it, he finished his freshman year with a 62.2% completion percentage, 67.4 as a sophomore. And right now, again, granted through only four games, he has a 75.6 completion percentage. And it just feels like his accuracy has gone to another level this year. And that's considering that Georgia at their skill positions out wide 
actually lost quite a bit and is relying on, on a lot of youth plus Lawrence Cager, the Miami transfer. So to see Fromm step up with less talent on the outside uh, is really remarkable. For sure, and and I really liked watching their running back Swift against Notre Dame. He was really really good, and and Kirby Smart is just he's just building a true program. He is a great great recruiter, and he just has it's like oh you know the one one five star has to come out of the game like great, great players <laughs> like oh well here's another five star kid from Florida who's who's coming in. It's another five star four star player. Yeah, it's They're, ridiculous. What what people don't talk about enough about about Kirby Smart is how he's really transformed that team's recruiting because they're in such a hotbed of of the country and they're winning so many key recruiting battles that that's how they're competing against Alabama and LSU is that they're he's keeping kids in state like Fromm is a Georgia kid and. And Justin Fields was a Georgia kid. Exactly, and and he's keeping them in state because from I'm pretty sure was an, an, an Alabama commit who flipped to Georgia. That sounds about right. So, yeah, Kirby Smart's done an unbelievable job. I mean, it, specifically if you look at that defense too, the guys he's brought in are, are yeah. ridiculous. I mean, Richard LeCount in the back end. I mean, they're they're giving up ten points per game, David. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's insane. So, per game. so, so here's my question for you because here's a scenario that could very well be possible. So, so let's say Texas beats Oklahoma, and they end the year with one loss, right? So Texas would have to probably beat Oklahoma twice. Don't forget, yeah, because the Big Twelve, the top two teams, go to the Big Twelve championship games. Right, right. I don't think they can do that. I okay. don't think they can beat Oklahoma twice. Okay, but. but but just stay with me. So Texas beats Oklahoma twice. They have one loss. LSU loses to Alabama but ends the year with just one loss. And so LSU would have beaten Texas, but they lost to Alabama. And let's say Georgia beats Alabama. Uh, let, yeah, let's say Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship. So Alabama has one loss. Could we get three SEC teams in the playoff this year? Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. Like, is is that possible if it all shakes out the right yeah, yeah, way? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to give you a Kevin Garnett. You know, uh, anything's possible, uh, but it, it would actually have to be the craziest, most chaotic. Everything breaks exactly perfect to happen. So I'm gonna go with no. Because, because so far from 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 what I've seen and and I've watched a bunch of games, but I haven't watched every game of of all these teams. Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Clemson are the four best teams I've seen so far. And okay, but just to cut you off real quick, that would mean that you're keeping out. Assuming Clemson make Clemson makes the playoffs as an undefeated pick, now you're talking about a potential one loss or no loss Pac-12 team. Yeah. Uh, probably a one loss, either Washington or Oregon. And you're talking about a potentially undefeated or one loss big 10 champion right now, which looks to be a mix of Wisconsin, Ohio state and possibly Penn state. Who's actually playing really well, though. I think their quarterback is going to be a big question mark going forward. I just don't see how they can make that work. I just, I just don't see it. I think it's very possible, if not even likely 
that two SEC teams make it. But I think the other part of it is that I'm not sure the rest of the SEC is very good. Like I, I like yeah. I said, I'm not an Auburn believer. I'm not a Florida believer. I think Florida could be one and two right now. You know, they played very poorly against Miami. They played very poorly against uh, Kentucky. So to me, I think the SEC's strength of schedule is a little bit overinflated, and I just don't see it being quite there. Okay, that that's fair. And I'm just more thinking of like those are the best teams I've seen, and but it doesn't make up the best playoff. But but moving on, we we, we spent a lot of time on, on the SEC. Let's let's get to the Big Ten. Yeah, your Ohio State. I I just want to hear your thoughts so far. Some concerns. I know you've really dialed in Coach Ryan Day, his first season. Just kind of just what are your thoughts so far? (laughs) My my thoughts are how can you complain as an Ohio State Buckeyes fan? Um, You know, Justin Fields has been every bit as good uh, of a player as you could have hoped he would have been. I mean, you talk about past quarterbacks at Ohio State, and he's somewhere kind of in the middle a combination hybrid of Dwayne Haskins and Braxton Miller and JT Barrett. And it's, it's just like, Holy cow, this kid's unbelievable. And then, you know, on the other side of the ball, the crazy part is that they have probably the best defensive player in the country in chase young, who has, I believe seven sacks through four games and nine additional pressures. And this is the crazy thing. This is the stat I saw. He's only made 81 pass rush attempts. Oh, my God. That's remarkable. That's insane. Yeah. And then you look at the back end, and certainly the linebackers have played better, but you know Malik Harrison's probably a guy who's going to get drafted. But the secondary has been a lot better. Jeff Okuda is probably the best cornerback in the country or or one of the top two or three, and he's probably going to be a top five or top ten pick in the NFL draft. And then on the other side, you have Damon Arnett, who's a senior, who's coming back to prove what he's capable of. And Sean Wade, who came out in the same recruiting class as Jeff Okuda and was the number two cornerback in the country that year. And he's looking like he could play his way into a first or second round grade. So when you talk about a defense with two top ten picks and then the highest ranked recruit in Ohio State history, even ahead of Terrell Pryor at quarterback, this team is really good. I mean, you talk about uh, the recruiting at Alabama. You talk about the recruiting at Georgia. You talk about the way Clemson's been able to reload on the defensive line. Ohio State's recruiting has been that exact same caliber. Yeah, for sure. And and it's really just you get the first Bosa because then you get the second Bosa brother. Chase Young was has been awesome, but... But when I kind of look at, at them, obviously really, really talented, really, really good. The kind of you could say the same thing about, about Clemson. They will play someone, but they just haven't played really anyone so far. So they just haven't really been tested, I feel like. That's true, and I agree with that. And going to Nebraska this weekend, depending on when this pot is released, um, you know, will be interesting. They're going to have to go to Nebraska, who gave them trouble last year. It's supposed to thunderstorm, so you never know. As you know as an athlete, and I know as a coach, when things throw off games and your routine is thrown out of whack, anything can happen. But Nebraska has a very legitimate quarterback in Adrian Martinez. 
They should be better than they are in Scott Frost's second year. This will be their first, I think, true test. Though I thought Cincinnati could have done that and didn't test them. Um, they're, they're just clicking on all cylinders right now. Now, the problem is that, oh, by the way, Wisconsin is way better than everyone thought. And the way the schedule sets up is terrible when you have to play Penn State and then immediately go on the road to Michigan for a game that is never easy. So the schedule doesn't set up really that well for Ohio State um, to make a national title run. They're going to have to be the best version of themselves, you know, especially under a first-year head coach, to reach their potential. Yeah, that's definitely true. And and you talk about their conference play is always so difficult and so different because every week is a battle like you wouldn't think that going to Nebraska is that big a deal just on paper not ranked you know second year coach obviously Scott Frost is a really good coach but you know doesn't have the same type of eyeballs probably on it as the as like a Wisconsin game but who do you see as the biggest threat is it Wisconsin or Michigan the way they're playing right now is Wisconsin. They have the number one defense in the country uh, by far. They have the best running back in the country. The kid Jack Cohn at quarterback has proven to be, you know, a top 15 or 20 quarterback in the country and just absolutely perfect and solid. Their, their, their offensive line is, you know, Wisconsin trademark. Uh, tremendous again. This team, this Wisconsin team is playing as well as anybody in the country they absolutely dismantled Michigan. That game scares the heck out of me. And if it doesn't scare the heck out of an Ohio State fan, then they're missing a pulse right now because that team is legitimately really, really, really good. But but to your but to the Buckeyes' advantage, that game is at home. For sure, absolutely, and uh, that helps. But. These things all make sense, David, but at the same time, you know, go back. They lost the year they won the national title. They lost to Virginia Tech at home. Now, again, that was with a new freshman quarterback, but, you know, they lost to Purdue. They lost to Iowa. My point is, while Wisconsin scares me, what actually might scare me more is the thought of them potentially looking ahead to Wisconsin and going to Nebraska, assuming it's going to be an easy win and getting upset. Uh, that's what really scares me. That's where this Ohio State team has lost games in the past. And that, by the way, was under maybe one of the two or three greatest college football coaches of all time who has since passed on the, the head coaching headset. For sure. And kind of just you're, you've been a Big Ten fan for so long. And just how is Wisconsin's offensive line always so good? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just like routinely, it's just like, oh, yeah, they just have five dudes who are 6'6", 350, and just are the best of the country. You know, it's it's funny, and I think it's a culture thing. I think it's a culture thing, and certainly it's a coaching thing as well. But if you look, because they only brought back one starter, if I'm not mistaken, Tyler Biotish, the, the center, who will probably be um, – you know, the Remington award winner favorite. But if I'm not mistaken, they brought in their highest ranked recruit in history. Uh, Logan Brown, uh, excuse me, second highest rated recruit in program history. And I don't think he's playing because these guys are just so veteran 
and so impressive. And, you know, you talk about Cole Van Lannen, you talk about Biotish, like, <laughs> it's the culture, man. Like, that's just what you do. You go to Wisconsin to be an offensive lineman and kick ass and, I don't know, eat cheese. I don't know what else they do with that. <laughs> but, but they just clear crazy lanes for running backs. And and Jonathan Taylor is – it helps that when you have that many open lanes and you're ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's doing things that, you know, and, and Big Ten running backs, by the way, have been historically awesome. You look at yeah, for sure. NFL and you have Zeke Elliott, Saquon Barkley, who hopefully his ankle heals up, Le'Veon Bell, Michigan State guy. Jonathan Taylor, and again, I'm not the expert who can tell you how he's going to translate to the NFL, but he might have the best college career of all those guys. And honestly, it may not even be close I think he's on pace for something like 33 touchdowns this year. He's going to pass Saquon Barkley in rush, in career rushing yards, um, I think, next game. Like, like, he is absolutely remarkable. That That is absurd. And just when, just when you think that, like, Wisconsin, Michigan, because I want to talk about that game, like, you thought that that would be the game. You know, Michigan, historically, with, with Harbaugh, very good defense, can stop the run. All right, this this will be the game where, where Taylor doesn't put up video game numbers. It'll be like 25 carries, 85 yards, and maybe a touchdown or two, right? Instead, he explodes, and now I'm wondering, does Harbaugh make it to the end of the season? Yeah, he does. I mean, he does, because here here's the question. who who Who's the answer? Like, who, who's better than Jim Harbaugh? And I think there's a lot of Jim Harbaugh issues, which we can dive into. But who's a better option for Michigan than Jim Harbaugh? That's what you have to convince me of. That, that, that's fair about who's, who's a better option, but they don't act rationally. Like, these huge programs rarely ever act rationally to where I could just see, like, if they lose – to Penn State, and maybe they lose the Michigan State game. That like they that the alumni and the boosters just say, "Hey, th- this isn't our guy. Like, this isn't what we signed up for." They're trying to be more modern on offense, and it's just not working. And I know it's it's still kind of early, and they're changing from Patterson to McCaffrey, but. They should be better. That's the thing is that they is that they aren't as good as I feel like people think that they should be. That's true. That's very true. I think part of that falls on Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator, and all the hype that they brought in. I I, I think there there's something about Michigan and the Michigan man at the helm that is important to them. And the other thing about Harbaugh is you know, they were a yard away from making the college football playoff. That changes the whole narrative if they don't spot JT Barrett good for a first down a couple of years ago. So I think, you know, there's certainly a lot of people freaking out. There's a lot of fans. I know I've been reading people are saying, do you think we could get Urban Meyer to come coach the Wolverines? He was like, uh, no. Um, they were even talking about getting Luke Fickle from Cincinnati. He was like, uh, no. I just don't know who the answer is, David. And I think that, yes, teams do rash things, but I just don't see Michigan doing that. I think Harbaugh is a very good coach. 
Um, and I'm not sure he's the perfect coach, but I just don't know who's an improvement. Um, who you can get, by the way, because, you know, you could argue, hey, like, I'd rather have Scott Frost or whatever, but Scott Frost is not leaving Nebraska for Michigan right now. Yeah. So that's part of it, too. And, Dave, just to go back to one thing, uh, I messed up. Jonathan Taylor actually has already su- surpassed uh, Saquon Barkley in wow. rushing yards. He has um, four, over 4,600 rushing yards in his career. Saquon Barkley finished with over 3,800. But he's about 150 to 200 yards shy of yards from scrimmage in career uh, of Saquon. And so he could pass that in the next game or two, which when you consider how good of a receiver Saquon was, that is just remarkable. So I just wanted to correct that statistic. Yeah, and it's, you corrected it into an even more impressive <laughs> stat so and Jonathan Taylor's only played three games this year yeah it's it's unbelievable but but the thing I'll say about Harbaugh is that he has proven throughout his career to not be a type of guy who can stick around places for very long you know I do think he wears out his welcome I do think he wears out his welcome but to me that's why he fits in college right because guys go through it it's not like you can sign a contract and just come back for years five six seven eight nine yeah but i don't know he he wasn't at stanford very long i know he got the 49ers opportunity but there's just it he he seems like he'd be a tough guy to play for and a tough guy to work with and i just don't know and 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 i agree with you if i was michigan i would not get rid of john harbaugh or jim jim Harbaugh because i think he's a really really good coach and he's, as you said, maybe you could try to get Brian Kelly from Notre Dame. You throw him a lot of money. I don't think that would work. But there aren't that many guys because Urban Meyer's not going to go there. It's, I just could see that if something, if they look really bad again in a big game and the offense is just not clicking, I could see them freaking out and just being like, we can't, like, and just thinking like, oh, we're Michigan. We could just throw money at the problem, the way kind of UCLA basketball went about hiring their, their like coaching search this passing of just, Hey, like we have a lot of money. Let's just see if Dabo Sweeney wants to come do it for $17 million a season. Just like something crazy. uh, You're right. But it's not going to happen mid season to your original question. Will he make it through the season? The only way I can see him not being there is if in the last game of the season, Ryan day in Ohio state, come into the big house and just absolutely mop the floor with them. And I'm not just saying Ohio State wins, but they would have to absolutely embarrass the Wolverines. And that's when I could see people saying, okay, now we got to do something because you just lost by 40 at home to your rival and have never beaten them. And and I think that if that does happen, that, uh, that Harbaugh would get the – the Lane Kiffin treatment and get fired and, and get fired in the, in the parking lot. That would be pretty interesting. Uh, but for the record, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Ohio state is a much better team, but that game is never that simple. We're going to take a quick break now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some coaches who may also be on the hot seat, the Heisman trophy race, and the college football playoff.
to a couple of other teams that I think uh, may be going through some coaching changes this season. The first one I want to talk about is is Florida State because Willie Taggart is is their head coach, and I just don't see it. They're, they lose to Boise, who's good, but you're Florida State. You should be able to beat Boise State at home. Barely beat UL Monroe by one in overtime. Yeah. I get I'm that. And, and I get that Virginia is good this year, but you should not be losing to them in anything. If you're Florida State, you should not be losing to Virginia in anything other than like a school debate contest, you know? <laughs> Though Bronco Mendenhall has been doing a really nice job down there. He has, but it's still like, it's one thing in basketball, but in football, like, are you kidding me? Like, like Willie Taggart hasn't been the, the coach we thought he would. It's only his second year, but I can see them, like, you lose Jimbo Fisher, the same thing I was just talking about. Like, they have so many resources just trying to throw money at the problem again instead of trying to get a guy who really fits the program. So I, I do think there's a ton of money invested in Taggart, and he is a South Florida – he is a Florida guy. So I think there's – you know, that gives him a little bit, you know, mostly the buyout thing. But what Taggart has done, in my opinion, is he's taken bad teams and made them good or above average teams. Uh, so, David, here's a trivia question for you. What do you think Willie Taggart's career head coaching record is? It's been a uh, hundred and thirteen games. Now this is between Western Kentucky, South Florida, Oregon, and Florida State through four games this year. I'd say he has somewhere around sixty-five to sixty-eight wins. So that's a good guess. He's actually fifty-four and fifty-nine as a head coach. Oh my god. So and now you got to factor in that his first year at Western Kentucky he went two and ten. His first year at South Florida he went two and ten. But Western Kentucky he got hired off a seven and five year, a four and four Sun Belt year. You know, South Florida he went from two and ten to four and eight to eight and five. Went ten and two his last year there, seven and five at Oregon, and then helped Florida State to their first losing season in you know a number of years. I just think he's, I think that one South Florida year is giving him all this kind of hype and shine. And I'm just not sure he's as good of a coach as people thought. Yeah. I I just think people want him to be a great coach and he just hasn't proven it. You know, it's like, it's like everyone really wants him. They keep giving him all these opportunities and back at him and let him have a lot of errors and mistakes. But when you watch them, you, you just don't see it, and they're it's, and it's not like they're bringing in a ton of talent either, recruiting wise, you know. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> and then they do some things that look silly, like um, you know, they after they what game was it? Was it the Louisiana Monroe game or the the game before where they lost? That one of their offensive linemen said like, "We just don't feel prepared." And then there was a game they had a wide receiver lineup backwards. Yeah. It, 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 there's just some confusing stuff. And again, like I would like Florida state to be good. College football is really good when Florida state is good. And you know, Taggart's a young guy. He's 43. He's obviously a really bright guy, but he's also only coached in one bowl game in his career. Yeah, that's definitely true. And, and, and the next, the next team and the next coach that, that I'd be worried Sorry, about. Sorry, that's not true. 
four bowl games. Four, okay. Still, still not great. But so the the next one is is Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt. Just, Jeez. just what are just what do you do if you're Tennessee's athletic director and you see this because you it's you should be better, but it's so hard to compete in the SEC because even if you're bringing in elite talent. It's so hard to bring. It's not basketball where you could just get the best. You get eight of the best hundred players, and they can all contribute as true freshmen right. in the SEC. Like you would have to wait two or three years, and maybe Jeremy Pruitt is doing that, and he's trying to recruit. But it's so hard to recruit to a loser, and it's so hard to recruit and coach <laughs> while you're waiting with all these expectations. They're like, well, oh, also while we're waiting for our best players. We're going to also be competing and beating Florida, and you know, and right. I so he, here's the interesting thing about the way you phrase the question specifically is what do you do if you're Tennessee's AD? Well, Tennessee's AD is Philip Fulmer, who you know was the last head coach who they had a lot of success under. He was actually the one who Lane Kiffin replaced when they fired Fulmer. Um, so to him, I'm sure he's sitting there thinking, Oh, how do I become the head coach again? You know, I'll be the savior, but I think the answer at Tennessee, and I'm not sure this is a great answer, but I think the answer at Tennessee is that you got to give Pruitt time. The constant turnover is just absolutely killing you in recruiting and, and continuity. Look, Jeremy Pruitt was like their 27th choice. Right? Like, they tried to hire John Gruden and Mike Leach and Greg Schiano and, you know, everybody under the sun, and they ended up with Jeremy Pruitt, who I'm sure is a very good coach. you got to give him time. Like, it's been really bad. But again, like, who's going to fix it? Yeah. And, yeah, because it's it's funny because it's like it's it's like what we always talk about quarterbacks in the NFL is that there's 32 teams but there aren't 32 good starting quarterbacks. There aren't enough great coaches to go around for for all these teams to be able to just fire the coach and be like, oh yeah, we'll just go get Urban Meyer. It's like Urban Meyer doesn't want to go to Tennessee. <laughs> I, I I'm with you, Dave. Can I just go back and make one more correction? For sure. Because I said Willie Taggart has coached in four bowl games. He has not. He's actually, his teams have gone to four bowl games, but he's actually only coached in one because his last year at Western Kentucky, his last year at South Florida, and his only year at Oregon, he left before they played in the bowl game. So he's actually only coached in one bowl game as a head coach. That's really interesting. The, it's it's kind of like what, what we – are mad at the players for doing of taking off the bowl games to get ready yeah. for, for for their next job, which is the pros, and that right. and that we never talk about the coaches who are just like, you know what, it's been a great run, guys, but I'm gonna go <laughs> yeah, work on my my, my new team. Four times, that's pretty nuts, huh? Yeah. So, so the last two two topics before we wrap because I know you got to go. Heisman favorites and sleepers because right now my top four for the Heisman is Tua, Jonathan Taylor, Joe Burrow, and Justin Fields, your Ohio State quarterback. I, with all due respect, think Jonathan Taylor is actually in there ahead of Tua. Okay. Right now. But I think Tua's fit. Interesting. 
I, I think that right now, the way I have it ranked is I think Burrow is number one and Jalen Hurts is a very close number two. And then I think Taylor and Fields are very close three, four right there. And two is fifth. Um, how do you see it shaking out as of if, if the season ended today? If the season ended today, I think it'd be Burrow versus Tua because Tua hasn't thrown interception. It's the Alabama thing. He might, he probably could have won last year too. So it's the body of work. And I, and I can see and I, counterpoint, I, counterpoint, Dave. Over two thirds of Tua's passing yards have come after the catch. So yes. It's not like he's throwing, you know, he has not thrown an interception, but the quality of the, you know, the, the ease of the throw, not to say I could make that throw, but the ease of the throw is a little different from what other guys are doing. That. That's for sure, and that's definitely true. Definitely but way more conservative. That's that's probably fair, and then and then I have Hertz in there. So so if four go to New York, right? Is it three or four? I think it just depends on how close everything is. I don't know the exact rules because I think they've had five guys go in the past. They've had three in the past, but so so so, so let's just say four people. The NCA will will you know shell out the 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 money. They'll be upset about it, but they'll shell out four flights to to New York for these guys. I have Tua, Jonathan Taylor, Burrow, and I think Fields won't get it because he's just a freshman, and I think Hurts will, will get on the flight. But but I kind of want to see Oklahoma play someone this year. Which they will. They, which they, they will. I think that's a good point. Don't, don't, and right now, Jalen Hurts, I think what hurts Justin Fields is that Jalen Hurts has been the best dual-threat quarterback in the country. Yes, for I sure. Mean, I think he's something like 80% completion through his first three games and some like well over, you know, 300, 400 yards rushing. So he has taken that past Justin Fields right now. And that's what is going to, you know, to me, the only thing that separates them. For sure. And and it's not that I'm saying that I want to see Hertz play someone because I don't think he's very good or because that's the opposite, I think Hurts is really good. I want to see what it looks like with Lincoln Riley, what they dial up in a big game, you know? Oh, it'll be fun. And, be and fun. how creative it is and just how good he will be because that'll be the difference whether he's number one in the Heisman and Lincoln Riley gets another Heisman Trophy winner or if it'll be number two or three. And, and just in terms of like in the back of our head, we're expecting him to live up to something about Baker and something about Kyler. I just want to see what Lincoln Riley does to maximize Hertz so that Hertz goes out and dominates. It has nothing to do with the fact I don't think Hertz is good. I think he's great. (laughs) But but it's just like I know what Alabama is going to do in a big game. You know, they're going to send Jerry Judy deep. They're going to have Tua look off one side and then throw it deep. It's going to be a touchdown. You know, it works against Duke and Ole Miss, and (laughs) and it's going to work against those good teams too. But – because, but I, I want to see what, what Lincoln Riley can do. Because maybe it's just a hot take, but like maybe we should just start giving the Heisman Trophy to him. <laughs> well, he gets to keep a copy in his office. Like yeah. About him, and he was kind of framed in a picture between <laughs> Kyler's trophy and uh, Baker's trophy. Yeah, because I mean, it, especially especially if we're just going to give it to quarterbacks, it's just going to go to the guy who's calling the plays, right? Yeah, that's an interesting argument. But so who who do you think 
if, if, if the first round of the playoff rankings came out today, who do you have in it? Um, top six. Top six, I think you have Clemson, Alabama, LSU. I'm sorry, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, LSU, and probably Wisconsin. Interesting. But can we go back to the Heisman, Dave? Yeah. I I, I want to hear some sleeper picks. Who are guys, you know, we talked about the four quarterbacks plus Jonathan Taylor. Who are guys that you think can get involved in that race? Give me, give me, because I, I have a, a guy who's kind of been, uh, needs to improve, and then a guy who's a deep sleeper. Yeah, for sure. So, so I have a couple. It's two more quarterbacks. It's uh, the first one. They're both from the state of Washington. The first one is Jacob Eason, yeah. uh, from from Washington State, or sorry, from from Washington, because he is really good. He's Georgia transfer has played really well, uh, and he's I, f- I forget who he's playing, but he started one game off this year where he was like making these throws, which is like, oh my god, this guy is good. And yeah, don't forget, he lost the job to Jake Fromm because of an injury. It right. wasn't like he got beaten out. Right, for sure. And and I think that they'll get a lot of love. Chris Peterson is a great coach, and they'll get a lot of love because they'll do really well in the Pac-12. Yes, they lost to Cal, and Cal looks good. I kind of want to see Cal do it for a little bit longer. Eason plays USC tomorrow. That's a big game. Uh, I'm I'm really excited. USC is on their third or fourth quarterback this year, <laughs> and but they're still winning games. It's it's unbelievable just the pipeline Southern California is. But Jacob Eason is is my first sleeper because because if they end up in the top eight, like I think they will, he he'll have good stats. I think some people talk about. Him. And then the other one is Mike Leach's quarterback at Washington State replacing the legend of Gardner, a.k.a. Beowulf Minshew, is Anthony Gordon. Yeah, I, he was my deep sleeper. Because, deep sleeper. Because, because you could say, oh, you know, he had these numbers because the game, like, went on forever. He still had nine touchdown passes last week against UCLA. I know I'm they sorry, lost. Can we just repeat that he had nine touchdown passes? <laughs> I mean, like... That's nuts. I mean, it's, it's literally like if you're playing Madden on Rookie. probably need to be a one-loss team and win out. Like, you need to be in the playoff mix. For sure. But if Gardner Minshew comes out and says, because he's like the internet's favorite person right now, if he comes out and says Anthony Gordon is better than than I am and we're all in love with Gardner Minshew, I could see college football Twitter just being like, well, maybe he is the Heisman. (laughs) That'd be great. The, The other guy I think we need to keep an eye on is Travis Etienne, the running back at Clemson. Yes. He is explosive. He is dangerous. He can run through the tackles, but he was even more dangerous when he gets outside the tackles. And actually, for a long time, I thought, well, he's not going to be able to win it because Trevor Lawrence is a guy that gets all the hype on that team. If Lawrence doesn't play like one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the country this year, Etienne is going to be the guy carrying the offense, and that's what I see going on here. And I won't be shocked if it ends up benefiting him and he sneaks his way onto the dais 
in New York for the Heisman finalists. I don't think he's going to win it, but I do think he's a sleeper, and I think he'll end up being the guy from Clemson that stands out. For sure, and it's funny. We haven't, as good as Clemson is, it goes back to what you were saying about the offense at the beginning of, of, of the pod, where it's just like, if Clemson is so good, shouldn't we be talking about some of their guys on offense in the Heisman candidacy? But we're talking about ETN, like, kind of just like as as, as the rep because Clemson's going to be un, undefeated. And he's got to put up really gaudy numbers because I'm not sure he's going to have that marquee top 10 matchup game that, you know, for example, if Burrow or Tua dominates in that Alabama LSU game, okay, that's their Heisman moment. Yes, for sure. I'm not sure any of the Clemson guys are going to have that opportunity. For sure. And Jonathan Taylor had his Heisman moment was with when he dominated Michigan. And he's got a couple more chances, including at Ohio State. For sure, for sure. So so just as, as we wrap up, your college football playoff, you you are you are allowed to put Ohio State one, just so you know. <laughs> well, I do think they're one of the best defenses in the country. I actually think they lead the country in fewest missed tackles this year, which is really nice to see. Uh, and I I don't think they're the best. I think they're the second best defense in the country behind Georgia, uh, though or Wisconsin actually technically is ranked higher. Yeah, I'm confused, David. I'm very confused, I think. But I'm going to take my fandom out of it. I say at the end of the year, it's going to end up being Clemson, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Oklahoma. Wow. That's what I think Wisconsin might lose to Ohio State in the regular season, but I do think they can come back and win the Big Ten championship as a one less excuse me, one loss Big Ten champion. I think they'll get in as the third or fourth seed. I think Oklahoma's going to sweep Texas this year. Um, and I think Georgia is going to uh, actually go undefeated and beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. And um, I think this is the year that Georgia wins the national title. Yeah, I, I really think so too. My, my top four is UCF. No, just just kidding. <laughs> Clemson, Clemson, I think Georgia will get that second spot. I I think Oklahoma and Texas will keep will, will split their two matchups, one in the in, in the regular season, one in the conference championship. Sure. I think I think your Buckeyes will, will get in at three. And I think Alabama will get four, because I think Alabama's gonna beat LSU by a lot. They're gonna beat Auburn by a lot. And but they're gonna lose to Georgia, but because of just what they've built their body of work by beating LSU and Auburn and, and all the teams that, that they'll be able to sneak in as that one loss non-conference champion four seed. And it will cause absolute chaos because it'll be all oh, the playoff ESPN just wants Tua versus Trevor again. And I'd be like, eh, well, can you blame them here? No, I can't blame them, especially, you know, here's an interesting one. If Notre Dame wins out and Georgia ends up beating Alabama and Notre Dame's only losses to by six points to at Georgia, do they make the playoffs? I don't think you could say that they could get in as one loss over like an Oklahoma one loss. I think Notre Dame has to be undefeated. So you're saying they're eliminated? I think I think it'll have to depend who's really in contention. 
because of because if we have two loss Oklahoma, two loss Texas, I think I think that they'll get in over one loss LSU. I think they could end up fifth, but I could but it, but but it would have to shake out about who's there, how many losses. Uh, right, it's got to break their way. Exactly. I yeah, they got a, they got an uphill climb here. Yeah, for sure. All right, coach. Thank you so much for joining us. We're we're looking forward to seeing how Pratt season ends up. Uh, practice starts in in a couple of weeks, and so we know that you guys are getting ready. You're dialing up all the synergy and the second spectrum data. And uh, yeah, man. I'm excited. I'm gonna put throw a little plug in here for sure. <clears throat> I have two matchups I want to highlight on our calendar this year. The first is Saturday, November 9th. It's our home. It's our opener, excuse me, against Sarah Lawrence and star freshman Michael Dixon, your younger brother. Yep. So that's a big one, and we're actually going to be playing January twentieth, uh, which is MLK Day, at the Barclays Center against the College of Saint Elizabeth. So I'm really jacked up for that one. Um, that's going to be a first class experience. So you know. All our games are important. We're, we're just trying to win the next one, but those are two that I just wanted to kind of highlight uh, going forward. For sure. And if any of our listeners want to ask Coach for tickets, you could reach out to him on Twitter, msass31. And, uh, At msass31. Yep. Hit me up. And uh, we're, we're rooting for your Ohio State Buckeyes. Not not too much because we have to do stay unbiased, <laughs> but, uh, but, but if they're in the playoff, we – the, the people get great coach sass content later in the season. So thanks. Thanks a lot, coach. And good luck with everything going forward. Thanks, Dave. You too, buddy. Always a pleasure. Yep.